God, we thank you so much. We don't have a lot of spaces like this in life where we intentionally kind of leave the busyness and the chaos and try to cut out all the distractions and the noise to hear more from you. That's what we want this morning. We don't want to hear from me. We just want to hear what you have for us. So we ask that in these moments you would just be softening our hearts, pulling down any barriers that we have, helping us to see you more clearly. That's what we need. That's what we're here for. I just pray that you would encourage us and strengthen us. We just give you these moments now. Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Uh, we're jumping into the next message in our Guide Rails series. Now, we're coming closer to the end of this series. This is a series that, that we set out as a church to kind of say, what are our guide rails for the next couple years of us as a church? And these guide rails, it's a mashup of guideposts and guardrails, these Two words, one of them is supposed to point you in the right direction and tell you which way to go, and the other one, a guardrail, is supposed to keep you from running off the road. So we mashed them up, and we said, all right, what direction do we need to head in, and how do we keep from running off the road as a church? And as we're doing it, I thought, man, what incredible things to add to my own life, to add to our lives, like guide rails, things that we can hold on to, things that, words we can kind of like claim in our heart to keep us going in the right direction and keep us from running off the road. I'm not going to review those because it's like I've been blowing time. Are you sick of me blowing time? I'm sick of me blowing time. Like I I don't want to hear myself say more words than I have to say. Like I get real sick of my own voice. So today, I'm not going to review the whole thing. You're going to have to jump onto the website and go back and find them all. I think this is like seven Numbers week seven or eight that we're into this. Um, so I do want to tell you today's, and today's guide rail is this. We don't maintain, we multiply. We don't maintain, we multiply. Now this is good for us in our personal lives. Not to just try to eke by in life. Uh, but it's also essential for churches. And what I mean in the context of our church and what we're doing when I say we don't maintain, we multiply, it's this. It's we have an unsatisfied desire to reach more people. Like enough is never enough. We reach your friends and family members who don't come to church. Then we'll reach their friends and family members who don't come to church. We just have this unsatisfied desire to see God's kingdom expand, to see lives changed, to see a difference being made. And that's what this message is about today for us as a church and for you and I as individuals. It's about making a difference in our lives, in our communities, in our schools, in our worlds, in our workplaces, in in the nooks and crannies of life we find ourselves in. It's about making a difference. It's about inviting people into our story and in doing so, making their story just a little bit better. This is about not eking through life, reaching for more. Have you ever heard the saying, maybe you've said it quite a bit in your life, I find that this is a saying that I thought I would say a lot when my children were little, but now I keep saying it over and over again. Sharing is caring. You ever heard that cheesy 
but true, bumper sticker-like saying in life, sharing is caring. As dorky as I feel saying that, it is absolutely true. Sharing is caring. And it's something that we have to learn and relearn and relearn and relearn and relearn. It's taught and then retaught. And, and in some ways, we're going to take that and reteach it today. Sharing is caring. I, I, here's a little bonus for parents of younger kids. You ready for this? Like, I tried teaching my kids sharing by instituting a candy tax in our house. No matter how they brought candy home, whether it was Halloween, school, I take a cut. That's just the way it goes. You don't like it? Find a new home. <laughs> I'm dad in this house, and if you bring home a pack of Starbursts, I'm taking a third of it because I really like candy, and also because sharing is caring. <laughs> it's something we have to learn and relearn and, and teach and reteach, and we have to do that because our default is to think of ourselves. Our default is to ask, how does this affect me? What am I going to get out of this? That's, that's kind of like the default we keep coming back to. It's what about what... It's about what we get. And what we're talking about sharing is not just words, although words can be something very great. To sh you share encouragement to somebody, it's going to have an immediate impact. You start sharing your story with somebody, it's going to have an immediate impact. But we share all kinds of things. We share words, we share things, we share experiences, we share all kinds of things because when we share, it elevates others. It's one of the simplest, most practical ways in which you can show love to other people. When you show love to other people, you make a big difference in their lives. Oh, I know some of us, we're really good at sharing and others of us need a little help, right? Like I'm not good at sharing my candy, though I'm good at taking it from others. And people nowadays, more than any time I remember, could sure use a little elevating. I mean, there's a whole lot of people that are just eking their way through life. Maybe you kind of like settle into your seat this morning and you're one of those people. You've been just worried about how do I get through this day and then once I get through this day, how am I going to get through the next day, and then I'll get through that day, and I'll figure out how I can get through the next day, and all along, you just kind of feel like you're barely making it, and if you're really honest, some days you don't even feel like making it. It just gets stuck in this routine of just, man, like trying to fix it, but then never really fixing it. Trying to find it, but then never really finding it. Trying to do more, but then never really able to muster up enough energy to do more. Eking your way through life and just trying to sustain, to maintain whatever it is that you have been, have going on. But, but here's something really important. Maintaining and sustaining your life is... The platform for decline. 
And when you can see that personal growth in your life, when you can kind of stop this whole idea of like, I just got to make it, I'm just got to make it through, I just got to make it through, and instead you choose to grow in whatever circumstance you're in, grow in whatever challenge you face, pull out of it and kind of just leave that day a little better, maybe not circumstantially, but maybe on the inside a little better than you did the day before. When you shift from maintaining as your goal for the day to growth as your goal from the day, you move from the platform of decline to the platform of thriving. In the church world, this looks like this. Like churches that are just trying to survive have already started the, the stages of church death. Like it's already begun. Listen, you don't have to be your own sustainer. That's something really important about what this whole journey with Jesus means. Something that he tells us often. Like, you don't have to just eek by, eek by, trying to figure out how you're going to make it. God will be your sustainer. In Psalm 55, 22, this is a verse that some of you that feel like you have been eking your way through life need to, like, write down or memorize. It says this. It says, cast your cares on the Lord. This is a promise here from God. He will sustain you. He will never let the righteous be shaken. That's not enough for you, Isaiah 41.10. So do not fear, for I am with you. Do not be dismayed, for I am your God. I will strengthen you and help you. I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. See, here's a promise that maybe you need to cling to this morning. God promises to sustain you. You can reach for more out of life than just making it by every day. He has more for you in this life than just eking your way through it. There's, he has more meaning for you. He has more purpose for you. He has a plan for you. He has a future for you. In John 10, 10, it says, the thief has come only to steal and kill and destroy. I have come that you may have life and have it to the full. And I read that and I have to ask myself, what's my life look more like? And it probably shows what I have been yielding to. Like if, if I'm just buying the lies the enemy has, if I'm just buying the lies culture's pitching at me, if I'm just buying all of the, all of the kind of like drive I have to just get mine and live for myself, then my life is going to look more like the damage the thief is doing to it. But if I'm yielding to Jesus, the one who sustains me, he is going to do more in me, and it says, than I could have thought to ask than I ever could have imagined. You see, you don't have to sustain to maintain or maintain just to sustain. God has created you for more. There's this great story in John chapter 4 about a woman who was eking her way through life. And maybe if you've ever spent any time in church, you've heard preachers preach about this passage. It's not going to lie an easy favorite, not easy, but a favorite passage for preachers to preach about. I've preached about it a lot. And most of the time when we preach through this passage, it's a story about the woman at the well or the Samaritan woman. There's all different kinds of names 
for it. We usually spend a lot of time talking about the interaction the woman has with Jesus rather than what happens next. And what I want to do is I want to catch you up or give you a real quick refresher on what happens at that well, but I want to focus on what happens next because what happens next after this encounter with Jesus is so powerful. It's just you know, you can read the whole story on your own in John chapter 4. I'm not going to read the whole story. I just kind of want to tell some of the story and then read parts of it. But you have Jesus who was traveling with his disciples and decided to not stick with the tradition of the Jewish people and traveling around Samaria because they thought the Samaritans were dirty and outcasts and they had all kinds of bigoted thoughts about that people group. Jesus decides to cut right through the town and to stop at this well. It's the middle of the day, and this woman had been going to the well, which was strange to begin with. People went and got their water from the well early in the morning. And I don't want to psychoanalyze this woman. There's plenty of sermons out there doing that. I don't want to try to dissect this too much or get into or focus on all that was going on in her life. Let's just say this, that she had been through a whole lot. She was pretty broken. There's something in her that was pretty hurt and pretty beat up. I don't know why she was there in the middle of the afternoon. Maybe she was sick of people. Maybe she was sick of the whispers. Maybe she was ashamed of her past and her history. Maybe she just didn't want to deal with it. You, you've been there, right? Like you've been in those kind of spaces. For whatever reason, she kind of like ignores the tradition of her people and skips out on going to get water for the day early in the morning when all of the women from the neighborhood would have been going to get it. She avoids them, and so she ends up at this well all by herself. Jesus is there and shocks her by asking her for some water. She's shocked, one, because it's clear that Jesus is Jew and she's a Samaritan and they don't really like each other or talk to each other. And not only that, but Jesus is a man and she's a woman and that's breaking all kinds of cultural norms right here. But Jesus has something he is after that's more important than all of these man-made kind of structures to live by. He's after, he's after our heart. He sits there and he says, like, she's, she's shocked by this question about, about, will you give me water? And so she's kind of like, what are you, why are you talking to me? Like, you're Jew and I'm a Samaritan woman and you're asking me for a drink? And Jesus interrupts her and kind of says, like, if you knew who it was that was asking you for a drink of water, you would be asking me for water and I would be giving you living water. And that's really a confusing way to have a conversation about getting a drink. <laughs> It's not surprising to me that she's like, what, a, what is happening <laughs> right now? Like, I don't know. This is getting a little strange. She, she goes, sir, like, you have nothing to draw with, and the well is deep. I don't understand how you're going to get me living water, whatever that is. I, I just don't understand. This well's been here a really long time. Like, we've been drinking from it a really long time. Um, I don't get what's going on. Jesus says, everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks the water I give them will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give them will become in them a spring of water welling up to eternal life. The woman says, sir, give me this water so I won't get thirsty 
and keep coming here to draw water. She still doesn't get it. So he says, go call your husband and get back to me. And she says, I don't have a husband. And he says, that's right. You have had five husbands and the man you're living with now is not, is not your husband. What you said is true. That cuts right through all of it, doesn't it? He's not shaming her here. It's just pointing to how thirsty she really is. She says, I can see your prophet, and she kind of deflects with a theological question. We do that a lot, and Jesus kind of responds to the question, and she says in verse 25, I know that the Messiah called the Christ is coming. He'll figure this all out. He'll explain this all, and Jesus looks at her and says, I, the one speaking to you, am he. This is incredible interaction. Like, so broken and so searching and not finding. Trying to patch her own life, trying to patch her own relationships and clearly not working. Stuck in this rhythm of just eking it through life, just trying to make it. Thinking, well, maybe this guy will be different. Maybe this guy will be better. Maybe this time it'll work out. And finding time after time after time that it doesn't work out. And here she is met with the source of life and every deep need that she has been searching for so long, face to face at this well. And an encounter with Jesus for her, for you, no matter what your past looks like, no matter what shame you're carrying, no matter what guilt you wrestle with, no matter what struggle you are stuck in, Right now, no matter what challenges you face, no matter what your family history looks like, an encounter with Jesus is what you are desperate for. You just don't know it. Your friends and family who are far from God, you don't know where they are, what they believe. The answer they need is not some trendy, cool church. It's an encounter with Jesus. He has what they have been searching for, what you have been searching for all along. He is the answer to our broken, beat-up hearts. He is the answer to our worn-out, eking-it-by lives. He is the answer. And this changed everything for her, this encounter with Jesus. What I, what I want to talk about, though, mostly is what happens next. See, this is absolutely incredible. She didn't spend any time in church. She didn't go to all the classes. She didn't join and sign up to be a member of anything. She just literally had this encounter with Jesus change her. The disciples come back, and they interrupt her, them, and they're like, what's going on? Did anybody feed him? Like, why are they talking to each other? They're confused by this whole thing. They just don't, don't get it. How could they get it? And they are concerned about Jesus, so they're like, hey, Jesus, you've been here a while. Do you, do you want us to get something for you to eat? And Jesus says, I have food to eat that you know nothing about. And they're like, what's he got? Does he got like a cheesesteak shoved somewhere in a pocket? Like, Geno's? What's he doing? He's got food? Why didn't you share it with us? Like, we just went to get lunch. You could have shared it with us. Like, what are you talking about? Jesus says, my food is to do the will of the one who sent me and to finish his work. And he goes on and he says this incredible line in there. I tell you, open your eyes and look at the fields. They are ripe for harvest. Open your eyes. Look around your school. 
Look around your workplace. Some of you got to go home, and instead of complaining that they didn't come with you, like, look around your home. You're going to see a whole lot of hurt, a whole lot of confusion, a whole lot of brokenness, and a harvest that is desperate, desperate for an encounter with Jesus. It'll change everything. He's telling them this, and something really cool happens. In 39, he finishes the speech to the disciples, and it says, Many of the Samaritans from the town, many believed in him because of the woman's testimony. Testimony is one of those words right here in Scripture, but sometimes it can take on like a churchy-type word. And churchy-type words, I'm not a big fan of them because they're like, you know, they're just pretty nerdy and churchy, and I'd rather just simply explain something. That just means she shared her story and how God had impacted her. What's so interesting is it actually gives her the main line she's telling everybody. This is not some great sermon. It's not some highly intellectual, apologetic reason for God. It's not some kind of like intense explanation about how you can trust the crucifixion and the resurrection to be real. It's not some like big answer to some like epic type of life question, existing question. This is what she shared with them that had a a major impact on everybody. You ready for this? She just shared how Jesus told her everything that she had ever done. So the Samaritans came to him and they urged him to stay with them and he stayed two days and because of his words, Many more became believers. They said to the woman, it says in verse 32, we no longer believe just because of what you said. Now we have heard for ourselves and we know that this man really is the savior of the world. I got seven things that we can learn from this like last bit of this story and this interaction this woman had with the people that she lived with in her neighborhood. Seven things I think will help us not maintain, but multiply. Seven things that make a big difference in people's lives. Here's, here's number one. How quick was the turnaround of this woman sharing her story with other people? Just immediately. Yo, you're not going to believe this interaction I had with this Jesus guy. You're not going to, this is absolutely incredible. Like she didn't go take a class on evangelism. She didn't go to Bible school. She didn't think, well, I'm going to go to church for a while and figure it out, and then I'll be able to get the answers I need to help somebody in my world. She wasn't scrolling YouTube. She wasn't doing like, doing like I got to memorize the Romans road, or like this whole list of passages we use to help explain the gospel message to somebody. It wasn't any of that. She didn't have the theological answers. She didn't even have the theological answer to the question she asked. Not one she understood. She just shared what God had done in her life. Here's number two. It's quick. It's uncomplicated. Number three. It wasn't weird. Why do Christians make sharing our faith take so long, be so complicated, and why do we get so weird about it? When it's just sharing the story of what God has done in you. 
in the moments he presents to you to share it. Maybe you've heard it said, this is the fourth thing I took from this, that hurt people hurt people. You ever hear that? It's probably true. I think it applies to a whole lot of different things, including changed lives, changed lives. I'm sure somebody besides me thought of that at some point. I don't know. I, but like, she had been changed, and God used a changed life, life to change lives. He doesn't use the perfect. He doesn't use the people who have it all together. Doesn't use, doesn't have to be everybody who has all the answers. What makes the biggest impact on somebody's life is another changed life pointing in the right direction. All she did was arrange the encounter. All she did was set the table for a group of people she knew to also see this Jesus that had changed so much for her. How can we set the table? How can we arrange the meeting for people in Jesus? And people believe because of, it says. Now I know the Holy Spirit has to do a work in us. Like he is the one who, draw, the Spirit draws us to Jesus. Spirit helps us understand what God has done for us through Jesus on the cross and the resurrection. But it's interesting to note that in this passage in the book of John, it says many Samaritans believed in him because of the woman's testimony. It's scary to think about what are people believing in when they see how I'm living? What, did my, what does my life, my actions, my words push people towards trusting in? They believed because they had seen it and they had heard it in her. And what if they believe not because the people in your life believe, not because they've seen it and heard it in me or on a Facebook video, what if they will believe because they have seen it and heard it from you? Everybody thinks we just got to get them to church, help them meet the pastor. Maybe he could have a chat with them and straighten it all out. Really? <laughs> That's what you're betting on in life? Have you seen the outfits? Like it's poor choice. They care a whole lot more about you. And what you think, then they care about what I think. They love you. They trust you a whole lot more than they love and trust me. The people come to see this Jesus. They own their faith and it multiplies and multiplies and multiplies. And lives, lives that can never be calculated on a piece of paper for generations were impacted because this woman who didn't have all the answers, didn't know all the right things to say, was just courageous enough to share what God was doing in her heart. This is who we are. 
as a church, and this is who I hope we are as individuals, we are people, we don't maintain and eke through life, we multiply. We multiply the love that we have experienced from God, we multiply the salvation we have experienced from God, we multiply the church, we multiply, we multiply, we multiply. We do it because we have received so much from God. We do it because he declared, he didn't, he didn't say you would be or you'd take a class and then be. He said in Acts 1.8 that you are my witnesses. Matthew, you are the salt and the light. There's like no choice. If you're a follower of me, you are the difference maker. You're a witness not because of what you say but because of what you have seen and what you reflect. And it's a command in Matthew 28 for us to go into all the world every corner of it, and make disciples. Listen, people look at me like I'm crazy. When I start talking about numbers, and if you've come here for any amount of time, you've probably heard me say that part of our vision as a church is to reach the 118,000 people in Schuylkill County who are unaffiliated with a church. 118,000 people. I say that, people look at me like I'm crazy. Honestly, when I say it, I feel a little bit crazy. A little bit. But then I think, man, like, the harvest, Jesus said, is ready and plentiful. It's just the workers who are few. And maybe the workers are few Because we're just eking by and never reaching for more. Because we think a pastor is the fix. Our church building. Listen, I feel crazy, but then I remember, oh, I know. I know how you reach 118,000 people. It's not complicated. It's not weird. It doesn't even take a lot of time. You reach 118,000 people one person at a time, and it's even easier to think about and less crazy because I know that one person. I know that one person at a time. That one person is the person you're going to go home and eat lunch with. That one person is the person you're going to hand a coffee off to tomorrow morning when you get to work. That one person is that person who lives three doors down from you who has been eking their way through life and really struggling with a bunch of stuff. That one person is your girlfriend who is going through some crap in life that is breaking her. That one person is your boss who's really struggling because his marriage is blowing apart and he's burying himself in work. See, 118,000 people seems a lot less crazy when I know who that one person is and I know that if you just share your story, just share your story in small, little bite-sized sentences that we can reach 118,000 people. Let's pray. God, we thank you so much that you have not, that you are a God who multiplies everything. Um, you've changed us. Help us not to be shy about it. 
It's cheesy, but sharing is caring, and we have a lot to share. Some of us can share how you've rescued us from some, some pretty dark and heavy struggles. Some of us can share how you've done some pretty amazing things in our homes and our families. Some of us can share how you've come through in really dark moments when we didn't see any hope or any future. We have a lot to share. Help us to share it courageously with the people that you put in our circles. We know that you'll do the work. You do the heavy lifting. We're just called to be your witness, to share the stories we have of how you have helped us and made a difference in our lives. Would you help us to be people who multiply and to be a church that multiplies? In Jesus' name, amen.